0: Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I can do mindset when it comes to faith, family, fitness, and food. Let's go. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee. Hello and welcome! Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of I Can Do. I'm Benjamin Lee. I'm really excited today. I uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago decided that I wanted to begin to interview people. This is something that is new to me. And one of the individuals that I wanted to talk to is here with us today. His name is Keith Stoneheart. Keith and I had an opportunity to meet. uh, We haven't officially met. We're looking at each other right now in the video, but we have been talking. I guess at least for the last year, and we've been Facebook friends, and I heard about Keith a number of years ago. So Keith has a really powerful story that caught my attention, and I wrote a book last year, and he was able to be a part of it. So wanted to reach out to him, and he agreed to be a part of the show. Keith, how are you, Great. sir? Doing well, doing well. How are you? I am doing good. How are you guys holding up there in Alabama with everything going on with <clears throat> the coronavirus?
1: Well, you know, it's. It, I mean, there, there's a little bit of panic mode going on I you know with a lot of folks I mean fortunately my wife and I are pretty much kind of homebodies anyway so so things haven't really changed much for us uh and it's good having everyone home and and uh you know so we're enjoying that but um I you know I, I think like most Christians we're trying to adjust to still be able to worship to still find a way you know and there's a lot of you know, questions and, and things that are up in the air. And as as every week rolls around, we're having to, you know, try to adapt and, and, and follow scripture best we can. So it's a, that part of it is is a little uh, nerve wracking. But I, all in all, man, we're doing well. Blessed.
0: Yeah, that's good. I woke up, I was telling you earlier, before we got started, I, I went to Walmart this morning, I heard about What they're doing now, they're keeping track of how many people go in at a single time. So after, at least here in Texas, so after there's a counter at the door, there's only one entrance now to go into. So I asked the woman, how many people are going to be able to come in at a time? So she said about a thousand. And then once people leave, then the next person can go in. So I think I was in the uh, early hundreds uh, with respect to customers, but it certainly is changing quite a bit, and um, you know we're just trying to take it one day at a time. Uh, Keith, I know that you and I are very similar in the sense that both of us have been preaching the gospel for a number of years, and just learning a little bit more about your background. I have a lot of things I really want to talk to you about. Okay, uh, I definitely want to talk to you about your uh, uh, your band career and the uh, guitars that are in your office there. Yes. One of the uh, things that, well, let's, let's talk about that now. Tell us, how did you get into playing the guitar? <clears throat>
1: well, uh, I actually started playing the drums, um, at a really young age. I think, you know, I, I grew up in the age of MTV when MTV actually still played music videos. <laughs> and, um, you know, I can remember, I think, uh, you know, now obviously growing I mean, we didn't have cable, right? I mean, cable was like still an option then. And, and, um, you know, uh, we didn't have cable, so I didn't have MTV. So I think it was probably I was probably nine, you know, eight or nine years old. The first time I saw a music video, and I was just enamored with what was going on there. The, you know, I, I had from early. I mean, my earliest memories were my brother had Kiss albums, right? And he had one of the Kiss albums. It was Kiss Alive 2, and they're all on the cover. And there's fire, and there's smoke, and they're the They're in these crazy costumes and his makeup, you know. But I was just, I I was, I was staring at that picture for hours, just wondering what they were doing. I was so uh, (laughs) enamored with it. So getting to see a music video for the first time, I remember the first video that I saw was Survivor Eye of the Tiger, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, I was just blown away watching the guys play the instruments. And so I knew I was, I knew I was interested in that. And so then I would go to my friend's house who that cable, and, uh, and, and we would watch TV, you know, in the afternoons. And um, the, uh, I picked up a pair of chopsticks uh, and started trying to mimic what they were doing in the videos, the drummer was. And I, I knew that, that my right foot on, on the bass drum made this sound and my left foot on the hi hat made this sound, the snare drum made this sound and my right hand was doing this and, so I could what they were doing, and so I really believed. I was like, "I can, I can do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can play these drums. All I need are some drums, right?" <laughs> so, you know, obviously at nine years old, I began asking my parents for drums, and and I was met with a, a, a very resounding no. <laughs> you know, uh, we do not want drums. I mean, they're they're loud. You 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 don't know how to play, and I was just like, "No, no, no, I do. I do know how to play. I do. I promise." And it was always no. So a couple years go by and uh, I'm in the fifth grade and uh, my dad was a guitar player. And so I had grown up with that element in the house already. And um, and I, I I could play his guitar a little bit. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I, I knew I could make sounds and and I knew which, what sounded good and what sounded bad, but I had no idea what I was doing. But he had gone to the music store to get some string for his, his guitar and he would always go in there and hang out with the guys – behind the counter, and they would talk music and all this stuff. And so I was just milling around. And, of course, I go to the drum section of this big music store in Atlanta called Music Mart. It was before guitar centers were big and all this. Music Mart was like an Atlanta-owned music store. Um, And they had, like, it was like a grocery store size, you know, a small grocery store size. And the drum section was all the way in the back, and it was like a soundproofed area. So they had drum sets set up that you could play on. And, um, they were all through the whole store. They would always be, you know, piping music through the store. Well, just so happens that in the air tonight, my Phil Collins was playing, right?
0: Nice. Yeah. We
1: all know the part, right? where, where the drums right. Come in. And so I sat there behind the drum set and I just waited for that part to come in. And when it did, I just closed my eyes and I went for it and I, I played along with the rest of that song. Wow. And um, I, mean, I can't say that I played it flawlessly, but I played it, played it pretty good for a 10-year-old who had never played the drums in real life, you know, only with chopsticks on Tupperware, you know. And um, whenever I open my eyes, I'm surrounded by all these people. And my dad is standing there and his jaw is on the floor and he's like when did you learn to play the drums? I'm like, I told you I can play the drum, you know?
0: <laughs> and so
1: I got drums for Christmas. And so I started playing the drums then. And then the, uh, my parents, uh, divorced between eighth and ninth grade. And, uh, there's, there's a whole saga that goes with that. But, um, you know, we, uh, the summer between my eighth and ninth grade year, we were in a new house, new neighborhood. I didn't know anybody. I have my drums and my brother played guitar. And so one morning before he went to work, he showed me how to play three chords. He showed me how to play an E, an A and a D. And, um, I sat there all day. I think I, when he left for work, it was like seven 30 in the morning. He got home at about five that afternoon and I was still playing. And, I uh, I learned how to play all these different songs with those three chords, but, And so it just kind of began my love affair with it then. And it became something that just consumed me, uh,
0: you
1: know, and because of our situation and because of a lot of the things that went on uh, leading up to my parents' divorce and whatnot, uh, music kind of became a saving grace for me because I was very drawn to escapism. Right. And obviously that would lead later on into, you know, drug and alcohol use and, and eventually abuse and addiction um but for 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 as long as as I can remember since then music has been a constant and it was always the thing that could kind of pull me out of that and keep me somewhat between the ditches um but eventually that you know that swerved and, and and I got off got off track but to this day I, I play guitar every day uh I play my drums you know at least once a week you know, that's, uh, that's in behind me and, you know and it's something that keeps my sanity: uh, music, um, lifting weights, and and uh, and and the Lord. Those are the three things that keep me uh, in, in in between the ditches and uh, and focused on my wife and my family and what's important.
0: Yeah, no, I love that, and we we definitely have a lot of similarities together. One of the reasons why I wanted you to be on the show, Keith, uh, my model is I can do so can you, and you definitely have an I-can-do attitude. I know you've been through a lot. Uh, It sounds like you've kind of touched on a little, a couple of those things, and I wanted to see if we could talk about that because I think your story can really help other people who are listening to this as well, where I focus quite a bit on faith, family, fitness, and food. And I know those are really big components of your life as well. I I tried to – well, I played the trumpet back in high school. I was not as uh, diligent – as you are. My son plays the guitar, so I'm definitely going to have to show him the electric guitars that you have. You mentioned a little bit about how playing the guitar was kind of like a a way for you to escape. And I know you talked a little bit about about your parents and how they got divorced. I know that can be a really big deal. I wanted to see if you might be able to share some some of that story with us of some of the things you you were trying to escape. One of the things that has just stood out to me, Keith, just getting to know you more. I wrote a book for those who are listening called what to do when you go to college, a brutal analysis of my mistakes. And so it's really all about live and learn or learn and live. So there's different ways that we can, we can live our lives. Hopefully we're, we're living our lives where we are learning from God's word. But I do know many times, including myself, we often will learn and live. But one of the thoughts that really stood out to me when Keith shared his story in this book. And he shared his story for the purpose of college students or high school students being able to read this and to have just to have a story of what people have gone through and the right path and and how to respond to uh, the good news of Jesus Christ and the fact that God really does uh, love each and every one of us. But the phrase uh, you mentioned there is nowhere good to begin my story and there's no good way to tell it. I'm not a very good writer. I think you did a great job with it. And yet I determined when I entered ministry that for the glory of God, I would keep nothing back because of the grace of God. So that really impressed me because I know it's hard for people to kind of share their story. Yeah. There's there's guilt or shame. People sometimes don't want other people to know some of the things uh, that they have gone through, but I wanted to see. You know, you mentioned there's nothing you would hold back. So I know the guitar, I know music was a big role. How did that help you? Could you dive in a little bit more with some of those challenges you briefly brought up with addictions and things like that, and how that how you got on that path? Yes. How did you get out of that uh, out of that self destruction type of path uh, and and be becoming a, a Christian?
1: Well, it was you know. It 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 started early. I I I say this, and I may have even said that in, um, you know, in in your book. But uh, Satan doesn't wait, right? I I think sometimes we have this 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 uh, this idea in our minds, you know, because children are innocent that Satan doesn't wait. I mean, or that Satan waits somehow to come after them until they're, uh, you know, old enough to to understand. But I, I I don't believe. I believe he comes after us from the minute that we're born. Uh, that that he is seeking to devour uh, from the onset you know because because of the value of our soul and, and what that means to him and um, and because of that I mean I, I look back and all of my early memories the the earliest memories I have I, I have I have a lot of great memories I don't want to you know to paint my my childhood to be a completely negative experience but the the one black stain that's there the one mark that that really um uh that stands out is that my dad was uh, an addict and uh and so I grew up I don't think I can ever remember a time when my dad didn't have a beer Mm. open you know that he was one of those guys that he would he would crack him at 10 o'clock in the morning and he would drink all day and um you know when. Even then, I mean, he, he didn't act like a drunk, per se. And so, you know, that becomes normal. You know, you, you see your dad with a beer, and that's just normal. And he wasn't really acting out in any, in any certain way because of that. But he would act out when he began to drink, you know, liquor. Um, he also was a, was a marijuana smoker. And by the time we moved from South Georgia, well, small town in South Georgia, to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, my dad got introduced to harder drugs there. And um, one of those would have been speed. Uh, it was, you know, the early form of crystal meth when there, I think it was calling it crank then mm-hmm. um, because he worked the graveyard shift. Um, so he worked from midnight to six every night. And so to stay up and function, that's what he would take. And uh, that, again, to really have an effect on him. And and uh, and so growing up around all that, it just seemed normal. It, di- it didn't seem out of the ordinary Um, but the prolonged use, my dad became very agitated all the time. Um, he had always been a little, uh, verbally abusive with, uh, my mom and I, not really so much my brother as much, but some, um, but, but my, my mother-in-law kind of caught the brunt of it. And, um, he, uh, that, that eventually gravitated towards more physical type abuse. And, um, you know, we we left him uh, in the middle of the night one night after he and I basically went toe to toe in the kitchen. Um, I was in the eighth grade, and and uh, there was a situation that had happened, and, and uh, I was just trying to leave, and uh, he and I, you know, uh, got into a fist fight, and so my mother decided then it was time to go, and so we left him. And, uh, and my dad also was, you know, he, he had multiple affairs through this time. And so there was a lot of things going on already between he and my mother, but she was, I really believe determined to try to make it work until it started getting physical. And then she knew that, uh, it was time to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, but when we left, there was obviously a lot of pain associated with that and, um, had not having a lot of supervision, um, and, and to things that I already deemed as, as normal, uh, drinking began at, at 14, you know, when, after we left smoking marijuana began, uh, at 14. Um, and <clears throat> that, that continued all through my freshman and sophomore year of high school, my sophomore year of high school, I started playing, uh, in a band with a, with a, with another uh, friend of mine from school. I mean, musicians like that, I mean, tend to gravitate toward one another and, very similar home life experience, and so there's a lot common there, a lot of pain. And so, so playing, you know, loud rock music was like a release, you know. And we then we bonded in that, and so we we started our band.
0: Well, and, let, me, let me ask you a question there, real quickly. Um, yeah. And it's it's just interesting listening to you because I, I feel like we grew up in the same household. Um, I know I know we're brothers in Christ, but I feel right. like we're connected a little bit more because my dad was an alcoholic. He was physically abusive. Yeah. We we were on the run. Uh, we never got a fist into a fist fight, but one night he had my mom pinned down to a couch, had been drinking. I was, yeah. I don't know, in middle school, maybe. So there's not much I could do, you know. But I went into the kitchen and grabbed a butter knife and, and screamed as loud as I could. We were living in, in an apartment, so we were on the second floor. So thankfully the people below us heard me. And they wow. called the police, so we were able to get out. But we stayed in a woman's shelter. So just hearing all this, I'm wow. thinking, man, this sounds very similar to a lot of the things that, unfortunately, I had to go through as well. But yeah. uh, but I'm certainly thankful that you were able to. And I definitely want to hear more about that. But I was, I was going to ask you, with the rock band, <clears throat> was part of that like being a release just because, and I'm <laughs> I'm no expert with rock bands and things like that. I know a couple of them, like Metallica, and uh, some of the songs played in Iron Man. Yeah, but, um, was rock band was the rock kind of music appealing because it was so loud? Yes, or because it was like a more aggressive. Was that what was kind of draw drew you into it? One hundred
1: percent. It was um, it was being able to be aggressive and violent without actually touching anyone. You know, and so as a as a teenage boy, anyway, you know, you know, when we're teenagers, we're we're, we're aggressive anyway. You know Um, it it was an outlet to where, you know, you know, one of the things that I I left out, I mean, my freshman year of high school, I I failed. I failed the ninth grade because um, I got suspended nine times for fighting. Right. Uh, And a lot of that was me working through the anger and the absence of leaving my dad and, And all not, you know, when you're when you're fourteen, how do you deal with these are very uh very complicated situations that a fourteen year old mind can't process and so they they manifest in aggressive behavior and you know if if anyone said anything to me, you know, to try to bully me because I had long hair and you know, any any kind of derogatory remarks, man, it was on and we were gonna fight, you know, even if I lost, I was determined that I was not gonna let anyone mess with me because I felt like that's what my dad had set up. And I was breaking that model. I was not going to let anyone have power over me like that again. And so my freshman year I had to do over. Right. So I was supposed to graduate in 1991. I graduated in 1992. All right. I I joke and I tell people that I was on the five year plan. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: But yeah. And so, so
1: being in a band, we, we had to play this loud music and I got to scream into a microphone and uh, and it was just it was a release of of anger it was almost like therapy uh just in a very physical way without actually having to you know get in altercations with people
0: you know yeah well, so, that's certainly powerful, and I appreciate you sharing that um do you and your father still have a relationship is he still is he alive what how what's that looking like now
1: well he he passed in two thousand thirteen um mm-hmm. but Pri- right after becoming, uh, Kelly and I became Christians in, in uh, 2001. Uh, I was 28. She was 29. Uh, we had, up to this point, we had lived that rock and roll lifestyle. I graduated from high school. And like I said, as we started that band in high school and and got into the club scene in Atlanta, started playing. So I'm 16, 17 years old playing in uh, you know bars all over Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, and we got hooked up with a booking agent and a management team, and they put us on the road uh, for um, they put us on the road for you know for almost three and a half years, playing twenty five days a month. And so during that time, I mean, we're kids, yeah. You right. know, we're 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 high school kids, you know, in this very adult, uh, you know, environment where alcohol and drugs were were easy to get. And, uh, and we, we indulged very heavily. And so during that time I met Kelly, we got married and, you know, my addiction would kind of plateau and and decrease a little, but then when life would get tough, that's what I ran back to. Right. And so it was, it was a cycle of up and down. And then finally, when, you know, we finally hit our bottom, uh, in that lifestyle at 28 and 29 years old, we became Christians. Um, her family, uh, has um, our, our members of the church? Uh, her brother-in-law is uh, is, a, is an elder in the congregation in Georgia, and uh, they had always been very uh, influential on us and, and pursuing us in, in that. And um, you know, when it all kind of fell out and we became Christians, um, they were there. No, they, they were part of that process of us being taught, obeying the gospel, and 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 and, uh, and then trying to work out all of our our, our baggage, right, that we brought with us. And, uh, and during that time, one of the things that I realized as we studied and I I became more uh, familiar with, you know, the truth, I realized that much of my addiction and, and uh, choices were fueled by this anger that I still had for my dad. Um, I held on to that for 14, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And by and large, that was what was hurting me because I was still trying to hurt him the way that he hurt me, even though he wasn't present. Right. And so I'm acting out in these ways. And then what would happen is I would start to feel it and it would overwhelm me. And I just wanted to numb myself, yeah, um, not feel that. And so, and that, and that kind of became my coping mechanism for everything. If I got stressed out because of financial worries, if I got stressed out because me and Kelly were having problems, if I got, you know that was that was my go to. I would run to that. Well, I knew that part of the process of me getting sober as as we had become Christians. You know, and that that's a whole other story too. I, you know, we became Christians in two thousand one. Okay, I, don't think I was completely sober until two thousand six, maybe. Okay, um, there was a process, right, of 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 doing that. And part of that process was forgiving my father, and so we began having phone conversations. He he had moved out to Arizona, um, and we began having phone conversations. And then finally, I think I was thirty two, and so he uh, we, we were able to get him on a plane to come out to to visit us and to meet my wife. He had never met Kelly, wow. and to meet his granddaughter, he never met my daughter. You know, and uh, and so <clears throat> he comes out, and uh, and we were able to kind of talk through a lot of it. And, reconcile. and He really was a different man. He was, he was, he had been broken by his life choices. You know, he, he realized yeah. that he had, uh, he had wasted so much and that one of those things was the relationship with me, the relationship that I wanted so badly as a kid uh, with my dad, I had now with my own kids, right? I, I had my own kids. And so that was fulfilling that need that I had had all my life to have a relationship with my dad. Well, now I had that with my kids. And so I kind of didn't need him anymore. And and that was a hard thing to admit, too. Uh, and, and and we reconciled. I, I can't say that we ever had a good relationship. Yeah. Um, there was still tension. Um, in a lot of ways, I felt really, really sorry for him because I could see the effects of it on him. Um, and I, I loved him. But I didn't have the relationship with him that I think he wanted, um, you know. Later in life, and then he he had a a, a stroke, and then another series of strokes in wow. uh, twenty twelve and twenty thirteen, and passed. And so when he died, we were we were on good terms. Um, yeah. and I had learned how to forgive him, and uh, and I can look back at, at those times and and be thankful, you know, as part of the healing process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's. Uh... That's really powerful, and I really appreciate you sharing that. Again, it sounds very similar to to my story as well. We It wasn't like a father-son kind of relationship. We were able to reconcile. I was actually preaching at a small church in Urbana, Illinois, and I think part of my sermon was dealing with forgiveness. Mm. I had sat down with him at a restaurant, at a Perkins restaurant, and really just poured everything out. You know, I didn't use any profanity or anything like that, but right. clearly a lot of pain, a lot of anger, very similar to you. When, when I got angry, I would cry, which made everything worse because now people found me crying and I was angry, which made it, you know, just kind of like built up building upon each other. But, um, oh, yeah. but that made me think about whether or not, you know, had I forgiven him? And, and so that, that began some more conversations, but yeah, my dad died at the age of 59 Uh, pretty close probably to the year uh, when your father passed away as well. So, you know, one of the things for me with this podcast, I I focus a lot on faith, family, fitness, and food. Uh, I have an eight-year-old son. uh, You have children. Mm -hmm. What has that looked like? And I guess what wisdom or advice, There's a couple other things I want to ask you, but as a father now, I think about some of the kings in the Old Testament, how some of the kings had bad fathers, they yeah. replicate, right? So we can either repudiate or we can replicate what we have been a part of. If it's something good, hopefully we replicate that. That doesn't always happen. But for, right. but hopefully that's the path. So seeing or knowing your background with your father, what does that look like now for your children? I know that's probably been a huge influence of just going a complete 180, right? Yeah. With With your interaction and things like that any wisdom counsel that you'd give to parents or people who are listening to this, who may have a similar story like yours?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that, um, I always said, right. All through my teens and twenties is that I will never be like my dad. Right. That was, that was my, if there was a mantra to have, that was it. I was never going to be like him. I was going to love my wife. I was going to love my kids. I was going to do the right things, and I was going to be a good dad. I was determined, right? And I remember still um, the moment that I realized that I was becoming my dad. Also, uh, well, I was in my band. I was in my band, and Kelly and I had been married, and my daughter was um, just about a year old. Or no, I'm sorry, she was older than that. She was probably closer to almost two. And my band had, <clears throat> we played a series of shows, um, three, four nights in a row. And, um, the last night was in Columbus, Georgia and we lived in Atlanta. And so I was close enough to home that I was like, you know, it's two 30 in the morning. I can leave now and I can be home at four, you know, it's like an hour and a half drive. And I had, obviously I was, I was up, right. I, I had, you know, drugs in my system and, um, having been up for a couple of days already, actually, even, you know, so I was, I was good to go. I was wired. Right. And, and so I was like, I'm going to make it home. And in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to make it home because I'm a good dad, not realizing that I'm going to make it home because I've got drugs in my system that are keeping me awake. It's got nothing to be with being, a, it's got nothing to do with being a good dad. It was, it was selfishly motivated. Right. Yeah. And I'm walking in and I'm, you know, I'm beginning to come down as I'm driving home and, you know, which was good because then I was like, I know I can sleep, you know, then when I get home and I walk in to our, our apartment and um, our daughter's bedroom was the first room on the left. And I remember, you know, trying to be really quiet because it was, you know, it's after four in the morning between four and five. I can't remember. And I, and I, and I look in her room and she's standing up in her crib, right? Uh, we, it, it was her crib, her crib had turned into a, a toddler bed where you just lower the mattress down, but she still has the rails up, you know? And so she's standing up in her bed and, uh, you know, messy, you
0: know,
1: <laughs> she said, I mean, I'll look right at her cause she heard me come in. so she's standing up waiting for me. She hadn't seen me in a couple of days. And immediately she sticks her little arms out for me to, for me to get her. And I I couldn't because I was like, I am too high. I've been up too long. And what if, what if some of this comes out of my skin and gets on her or what if I drop her or I just, I was, I was embarrassed for her to even see me because of the condition that I was in. And I realized as I was walking down the hall toward our bedroom and she's crying for me, you know, I was like, man, I was like, what a loser you have become. You have become just like him. And I knew then that something was going to have to change. That uh, that I couldn't go on like that. And it would be a few months later before that actually happened. But that was the kind of the beginning of it. I was like, I am becoming my dad. Mm-hmm. And so, where I'm going with this is, 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 is that from the moment that we began to change, I knew that I was. I, I, I could I could renew that statement that I will never be like him because I'm changing today that my daughter will never know me that way. Right. I mean, when I, you know, she's 20 now, she'll be 21 in June. She's married to a wonderful guy. And, uh, and she's turned out, I mean, just so incredibly good. Uh, You know, not to pat myself and my wife on the back, but I mean, this is what you hope for. Absolutely. Well, you know, and and she's, uh, she's everything and more that, that I hoped that she would be. And, and that began because I determined that I was going to be the man in her life, that I was going to be the role model, that I was going to set the bar so high that whoever she marries is going to have to, it's going to have to meet me there. And she did, she did that. And and, and we couldn't be more uh, happy with, with uh, our son-in-law and who she picked, but you know, it's a, it was a process that began with that decision of I'm not going to let that happen. That it was beginning to happen. And I realized it. And then it was, it was the t- determination to then take take advantage of every opportunity yeah. uh, to be the positive example, to to make sure she never wondered if she was loved or not. You know, one of the things that happened with my dad when he came to visit the first time, uh, he was just enamored with my daughter, uh, you know, just blown away. He's a granddad and he's looking at her and she's, you know, she's beautiful and, and all these things. And he's watching her sleep. And he says to me, you know, uh, in the hallway, I was like, yeah, I look in on her sometimes too. He said, man, he goes, she's sleeping like so soundly. She's, he said, you guys never slept that good. And I didn't even think about it when I said it, it's rolled out. Uh, I said, yeah, well, she knows that she's loved. Mm. Um, and of course, I mean, that made my dad cry. And I didn't say that to make him cry, but it was, and, and, and I went out and I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. He said, no, you're right. Right. He said, he said, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you guys didn't know that you were loved. And so that's a long way to say this. But I, But the point was, is, is that we wanted to make sure that our kids knew that, number one, they were loved by God. That there was a God and that God loves them. Mm-hmm. And, and that that their whole life would be about learning about that. That God loves you. Um, that God will always love you and, and that there, there's meaning in that. And then because God loves them, we love them too. And so establishing that, that relationship early on, uh, the importance of, of knowing God and knowing that God loves us, there's never a time, even if, if, if she went to bed uh, after you know getting in trouble or being grounded for something when she was a teenager or, or whatever, even if she go to that match, she knew she was loved. She knew that we loved her and she knew that she was loved by God. And it's the same thing with our son now. Our son is 13. And, um, you know, it's the same, it's the same thing. I mean, the relationship is first that you are loved above and beyond everything else. And they see that in the fact that, you know, we always eat dinner. You know, we uh, we always, you know, we, 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 we go to every, Worship service, you know, we don't skip for sport, sporting events, and that sort of thing, and yeah, you know, we've made that a priority. And so there's an understanding of normalcy and consistency, and that's all part of that love that, that is constant, yeah. In our lives.
0: Wow, <clears throat> thank you for sharing that. That's that's really powerful. I think uh, that's something good for all of us to, as parents, especially. And what you mentioned at the beginning of the show as well, that the devil never, never waits. So with him sneaking in and influencing young people, I know that's a big problem for a lot of young people. They don't have that support. They don't have all the time, unfortunately, mom or dad or that guidance that you're talking about. So that's so critical. So I got to say a couple of things and ask you a couple more questions. First, I want to say congratulations to you and Kelly. I saw on Facebook, you guys hit 23 years of marriage. Is that correct? 23
1: years of marriage, 25 together.
0: 25 years. That is fantastic. Yeah. So you're ahead of me and, uh, and uh, Nikki at this time. We're at 15. So I got to ask you, and I think our, our listeners would really benefit from this. I know you're big in evangelism. Mm-hmm. Evangelism is a big deal for me as well. I was on your YouTube page, and I saw your your talk from Luke chapter 24 Yes. I really like that about uh, the simple things that we can do, just following in the footsteps of, of Jesus. Absolutely. How and who was it that was able to share the gospel with you, get to the matters of the heart with you, to break through the music, the noise, the anger, the drugs? How, who was that and how? what did that look like? And the reason why I want to ask you that is it can be easy sometimes for for people not everybody but it can be easy sometimes to see us uh, to see people living a certain way and sometimes people can assume they're not going to listen to the gospel they're not gonna, they're not going to respond they're way too far <laughs> down that road that wasn't the case for you um so walk us through who, what did that look like because I think that will help people who are listening as well just reminding us about the power of, of Jesus Christ and, and, and yeah. the word. Well, you know what, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm actually really glad that you asked this because it really kind of speaks to the power of the community, right? Because that's really what it was. The first people uh, that were able to reach uh, Kelly and I, but me specifically was my brother-in-law, Mark Bowman and uh, his wife, Denise, this was Kelly's sister. Mark Denise Bowman, Mark's an elder of the Mountain View Congregation in Cumming, Georgia, and Mark and Denise had always been after Kelly and I. They 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 had always been pursuing us, you know, not not in a in a in a a overtly you know or belligerent or 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 uh, you know like a, a salesman type way. I mean, they 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 were just consistently showing us love, and they were consistently trying to help us, you know. Uh, and, and it was true because, I mean, because of their example, when Kelly and I needed advice, that's who we talked to. Even though we weren't Christians, we knew that I was going to get better advice out of him than I was the guys in my band, right? I mean, I love the guys in my band. I'm still friends with those guys today. And, you know, it's funny, while we're in quarantine, we've actually been recording new music via Dropbox.
0: <laughs> so oh, wow. <laughs> you know, because we're bored and,
1: you know, we can. And so... Uh, but I'm still friends with those guys, but I mean, when I wanted really good counsel, that's who I went to. I went to Mark, and you know, when when Kelly and I kind of hit our bottom, that was who we went to. We went to Mark and Denise. Mark came to me. Kelly went to Denise, and they were able to uh, talk th- with us about the situation and talk through it with us and convince us uh, to both make the decision to attend the Wednesday night, you know, uh, assembly. Um, because at that point I had exercised every option that I knew, and I'd still made a complete mess of our marriage. And um, so we we agreed to meet. And once Mark got us there, it was a man named Brownlee Reeves, um, or as, as he he affectionately goes by Brownie, that everyone that knows him. But but Brownie Reeves uh, was he was magnetic, man. I mean, it was. He he saw me when I came in and now listen. I, 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 at this time, I'm, I'm about 100 pounds lighter than I am now. Okay, right and uh, just bone skinny and uh, jet black. I mean, you think my hair is crazy now. It was it was like this <laughs> everywhere, right?
0: I uh, like your hair. I'm a little bit jealous, man. <laughs> and uh, you know, earrings in
1: both my ears. You know, uh,
0: tattoos.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm I'm that guy, right? And so I was very apprehensive about even going, but I but I. I believed Mark's advice was, was good advice. And that even though at the time I was actually an atheist, I, I, I refused to believe anything because of my skewed worldview at the time uh, because of the drugs and and, and so, so forth. So um, I agreed to go really believing that I was going to be judged and that no one was going to talk to me and that I was just going to go in and go out and check this off my list and, trying to just go through the steps of getting, you know, getting things fixed. Well, Brownlee did not let us out of the lobby uh, without agreeing to a study. I mean, it's like, man, he, he saw me and he was, I mean, and he was like, he was honed in. And so whenever we, when class was over and it was all done and we try to leave, he's there in the lobby.
0: So one of the out. things you're saying then is not, to, I want to interrupt real quick. One yeah. of the things you're saying is the importance of welcoming people don't make assumptions, even yeah. with the jet black hair or tattoos and yeah. other, that. a person who is there, who's walked into the building, talk to them and, and reach out to them. That
1: was it, man. I, I it was, I told Kelly later, I, I was like, you know what? I was like, I went in there fully expecting judgment and, and that sort of thing. And those people didn't care. They looked right past all that. And they were just glad that I was there.
0: Had you ever experienced that in another Never. church? Or is that just Never. some assumption you had just with your view of what Christianity was about?
1: Well, because I, in high school, uh, I had a lot of friends uh, that I, that were, you know, Christians. Uh, and, um, but they, you know, and, and they would, but they would still like, you know, gossip and make you know be judgmental about the things that that i was into and all this stuff Uh, yeah they would all show up at my parties on friday night right and so there was a hypocritical view that you know that i had of i was like oh you guys are a bunch of hypocrites you you stand in judgment over me then you you party with me you know it's like you know and so i kind of had that feeling going in that these people are going to be like everyone else just a bunch of hypocrites that just want to make judgments about people and and no one did that. I mean, not that I know of. No one no one made me feel that way. I know that. And um, and it was just this this true community. You know, one of the things that I wanted in a band was to belong somewhere. You know, that what I, that's what I saw in the band was a brotherhood. You know, I, I mean those three guys that I was in the band with, you know, the four of us together, and then if you included our road crew and, and some of the other guys that traveled with us, we were like a gang. You know what I mean? If you fought one of us, you fought all of us. Uh, you know, if, if you loved one of us, you loved all of us. And it was one of those things where it was belonging to something. It was it was a sense of community. And I felt that at the Mountain View Church of Christ. I felt that from those people. They they just pulled me in. They didn't care about any of, of my appearances. They just wanted to know. They didn't even care why I was there. They were just glad that I was. And it, was, um, it, it stayed with me to this day. And I stressed the importance of that and how, you know, uh, you know, Brownlee, you know, wouldn't let me tell him no. Uh, you know, he asked me, he, he said, you ever study your Bible? I'm like, well, I have a Bible. He goes, okay, I'll bring you one. How about tomorrow night? You know, he just was not going to let me out of there without saying yes. And it was yeah. that persistence, not pushiness. It wasn't, he wasn't pushy at all, but it was, it was a persistent, um, you know, seeking that, I mean, he, he was really interested in me. Uh, not that he was trying to push something on me, but that he was interested in me. He wanted to know about me. He wanted to know about Kelly and, 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 you know, it was, it was really evident that the guy cared. And I think that's, you know, that, that goes back to that old saying that, you know, they'll never know, you know, unless they know how much you care. And, um, and then, you know, a couple of weeks after studying with him, he was able to kind of answer all of my, my atheistic gotcha questions, you know, that I thought that I had that most you hear pretty commonly, you know, uh, why does God allow suffering if He's a good God, and all this, you know, He was able to answer every every bit of it from Scripture. I mean, never once did He open His mouth and say, "Well, I think," or or whatever. He said, "Well, let's look at this," and He would push the Bible across the table and make me read it. Right, mm-hmm. he would, and so I was having to read the words. I and and it's, I've come to believe that no one has ever obeyed the gospel that hasn't read it for themselves. And that was part of that process of him making me read it. And you know, after we were baptized, uh, about a month later, um, then began this whole process of hospitality, where <clears throat> we were at someone's house every Friday night, Saturday night for a long time for dinner and discussion, or, or dinner and a study. Uh, we had a Sunday night Bible class that was going on for young couples. We studied with Brownlee on Monday nights, and then we had Bible class on Wednesday nights. And so there was really only about two nights a week that we weren't with other Christians. And then whenever we left there, uh, a man named Jeff Harward stepped in. And Jeff was the man that eventually would uh, really encourage me and inspire me to pursue ministry uh, and, and, and preaching in, g- in general. And um, but it, it was, and, and so to answer your question, it was a lot of people. It was yeah. Mark Roman. And Denise Bowman. It was Brownlee Reeves. It was Jeff Howard. Um, and and it still continues to be. I mean, even you know, nineteen, you know, 18, 19 years in to being a Christian. We became Christians in two thousand and one. So this will be nineteen years this year. Um, it still continues to be Ben Lee, David Banning, uh, Doy Moyer. Uh, so many people that 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 I that I I respect and that that help and, and, and inspire me to stay on track, to keep mm-hmm. doing what's right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, and there's a passion that's there, but that that passion is fueled when I see other people doing what I think is so important.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's that's really powerful. I wrote down, I think this is so good when it comes to evangelism, caring, welcoming, asking, studying, hospitality, then community a lot of people that's yeah. uh, that's a that's a powerful and uh, biblical recipe uh, yes, yeah. in reaching lost people and I'm glad you mentioned that I was going to ask how does one who was uh, an atheist rock star uh, become a preacher full time when did you decide when did you know that you wanted to preach full time
1: um, well, it was weird the, the way it happened. Um, so Jeff Howard, the man that, that kind of, you know, we studied with, we studied with Brownie for four years almost every Monday night. That was one of the things that really sticks out in my mind is that, is that he didn't just rush us to, to baptism and then leave us there to drown. I mean, he studied with us every Monday night for, for almost four years. Wow. To make sure that we were getting grounded in solid doctrine. Right, that we were understanding the correlation between the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, and what that means in in the New Testament with with the sacrifice of Christ, and now the the you know the 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 ongoing of the church. And so he really spent a lot of time with us, and I think that that was so invaluable for me. And when we left Mountain View, there were several of us that lived far enough away that we wanted to start a, a new work, and so Mountain View helped us. They helped us. Uh, formed the Lanier congregation. We were over by Lake Lanier in in North Georgia. And so, um, there was about, uh, six families that, that began that work. And then we had, I don't know, over over the course of the year, we had, um, you know, seven or eight other families that, that joined us. And we, you know, we kind of built it up fairly, fairly quick, but Jeff Harward was, uh, one of the men, he was the father of one of the families, um, that had moved with us, uh, guy named Aaron Harvard and his wife, Carla, they were two of our very, still to this day, two of our very best friends. And um, so Jeff moved up from, from Middleburg, Florida to, to preach for us. And he was just electric to this day. Still, I think one of the best preachers I've ever heard um, because he had a way that was just very, it was, I call it real talk. Uh, Jeff preached, real talk. He didn't have a preacher voice. Uh, now he would be, he was, he was a passionate and animated speaker, but he was very real, uh, about it. His approach was very, um, uh, very hands on almost. And uh, you really felt like he was talking to you every sermon. And it, it was like every week he's looking into my life and I'm like, how are you doing this? Well, that's just what the Bible does. Right. <laughs> and so, um, and so he really inspired me. But Jeff also spent a lot of time with me. Uh, at the time, I was building homes, and so I had I had kind of a flexible schedule. Um, and so Jeff would ride with me. I would go pick him up in the morning, and he would ride with me all day in my truck. And so we I would make my rounds and check on job sites, and uh, and he was interested in all that and uh, too. But we would talk Bible. We would talk spirituality. We would talk. Uh, you know, apologetics. We would talk all these things, and we we talked a lot about fatherhood, and we talked about being a good husband and and, and what those things looked like. Because you know, the father figure in my life was was gone from an early age, and Jeff kind of filled that for me. He gave he he kind of gave me the fatherly advice too, as as well as the spiritual counsel. And this was something that he and I did all the time. And so, um, in two thousand and nine, he, he called me up one Friday. He said, "Hey, my doctor's appointment canceled." what are you doing for lunch? I said, I'm having lunch with you, man. And that was kind of our usual thing. We would go to this place in Atlanta, uh, the Wild Wing Cafe. They had a wing buffet. And I mean, it was like nice. six bucks, all the wings you could eat. And I mean, and we would just leave bones, man. It was carnage. <laughs> you know? I mean, we would go, we would just eat wings and talk, you know, mm-hmm. and I remember, so we're, we're sitting there and we're talking. And um, I said, Jeff, you know, I said, I feel like, I said, I've been a Christian now for, you know, for eight years. And um, I, I feel like I learned a lot from, from Brownlee. I've learned a lot from you and I have all this life experience that I really think I might be able to help someone, uh, you know, if, if, if I were to, you know, try, I said, but you know, I'm not even, I'm not even teaching a Bible class. I, I, I give an invitation every so often. I've done a few Lord's Supper talks, but i I'm never, Preached a sermon. I've never taught a Bible class. I'm not doing anything. And Jeff looked at me, and he had this thing that he would do where he was pull. He would pull his glasses off his face, and they yeah. would kind of hang off to one side, you know. And he would kind of look at you over, mm-hmm. over his eyes, you know. And he goes, "Yeah," he said, "You're an idiot."
0: <laughs> oh, no.
1: went back and, back on and went back to eating. And i sitting
0: the chicken wings, there.
1: huh? <laughs> i sitting like, what happened? What what has happened here? And but I knew what he was saying. He was basically telling me, yeah, you're an idiot if you don't, if you don't do something with this. That's on Friday. Saturday night, he and I had a phone conversation um, about something that we've been talking about uh, previously, uh, an issue that was going on there there at the congregation. Uh, I'd become Jeff's sounding board uh, for a lot of things. You know, we didn't have an eldership. And so uh, when we had problems and Jeff would want to talk, he would talk to me. Uh, and I would just keep all of his secrets, you know? So it was, it was, uh, I was privileged. I, I look back now and I see that that was really a great privilege to be his sounding board. I realized now as a preacher and you know how important that is to be able to, to get things off your chest and to, to bounce things off of people and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and so, and, you know, and so, well, Hey, I said, you know, I'm glad that got worked out. I'll see you in the morning. Well, we got a phone call at seven 20. Uh, From his daughter in law, Carla, and said that Jeff had passed away. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just that he got up that morning about six and um, was kind of putting his thoughts together uh, for his lesson and um, came back and sat back down on the bed and he looked at his wife, Star, that was her name. And um, she said, Are you okay? And he said, I don't think so. And she said, What's the matter? And he looked at her and said, I love you. And he, he fell over. And it turns out he had a blood clot that lodged in his leg. Wow. It just, it killed him right then. And so we were all devastated. I mean, Mm. and, and surprisingly, I mean, or maybe not surprisingly, everyone still showed up for worship. Uh, We didn't have, we didn't have Bible class, obviously, uh, but we showed up for worship and all we did was sing songs, pray prayers. We took the Lord's supper. And then we, we basically all just, just huddled together and cried for about three hours, you know, just, and, and, you know, his wife is there, his sons are there. I mean, everyone's there exactly where we were supposed to be, you know? And that, that experience still sticks out in my mind. But after that, um, the men, we'd all gathered together to find out what we were going to do. Are we going to try to find another preacher? Or are we going to just, you know, what are we going to do? And I just, I kept going back to, to Jeff looking at me over his eyes, you know, and telling me, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. And so the immediate need was someone to, to preach Sunday, and I was like, "I'm up," you know. And it was kind of been with a little—not, not I wouldn't say resistance, but like, Keith, you've never preached. What are you doing? And I, and I was like, "Well, I'm, I'm going to." And uh, I preached that Sunday, and um, and then I preached again the next Sunday, and then it just kind of became a regular thing where me and and his sons and and a few other men were in a regular rotation, filling in, and um. And then I was, I started filling in at other congregations around Atlanta that didn't have preachers. I would go and fill in in their rotations. And, um, uh, we got invited to go to Florida college, Alabama camp, um, in 2010. And I met some of the folks from Fultonville there and, um, got to be good friends with them. And then in 2011, uh, came back to camp, same thing. And, um, got to, um, uh, give a devotion one night there. And uh, some of the men from Fulton all asked me after that, they said, Hey, you know, uh, would you, would you want to come over and preach at Fulton Hill sometime? Our, our preacher is about to move uh, back to California to take care of his parents. Would you, would you be interested? I said, man, I'd love to come over and preach one weekend. And so I did two times and they offered me the, the opportunity to come and work here. And so I, I said a lot to say this, that that until 2012, preaching full-time was never on my radar. I was just going to do it because I told Jeff that I needed to do it. He agreed that I needed to do it. But the opportunity to preach full-time somewhere was kind of a pipe dream because I was 39 years old then, right? I'm 39 years old. Who's going to, you know, you know, a guy who's never preached full-time at 39 is not likely to end up preaching somewhere as, 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 a, as a fully supported minister. And so it was uh, a, yeah it was it was a weird process that, that brought me here but uh we've been here ever since, and it's been one of the best moves we ever made. Wow,
0: I did not know that part of the story with jeff i don't believe I don't believe you shared that with me unless I forgot that uh uh that was that was a shocker. I was just thinking it was gonna kind of be you know step one step two step three, but what a powerful story, yeah, uh, I really appreciate you sharing that um I think that's just a good reminder of the impact friends and brothers can have upon one another. Right. The the urgency of doing things. I think with the quarantine, with the coronavirus as well, that's that's reminding us about there is a sense of urgency, and yeah. it doesn't a person getting into preaching full time. Um, you know, there doesn't have to be the whatever the traditional path, whatever that path may look like. So. The other thing, you said you were 39 in 2012, so that puts you at, uh, I woke up at 11.45 <laughs> last night, so I'm a little short on sleep. How old are you? I'm 47. I would have never thought you were 47 years old. You look good, man.
1: Well, hey, man. You got to <laughs> lift, man. You got to
0: lift. lift.
1: Yeah. The <laughs> <class>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> With the time that we have left, let me ask you a couple more questions. Okay. What does your workout routine look like? All right. So,
1: um, that's funny. I just said squats. I actually don't do squats. I, I, and, um, <laughs> I, I stopped doing, I, I had to stop working out legs in 2014 because I hurt both of my knees. And it was a, I think it was a process of hurting them. I don't think I hurt them at that moment. I think that was the, maybe that was a straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I, I've been pretty hard on my knees all my life because, uh, you know, with construction work and the things that I was doing, I was on my knees a lot. And, um, and so, but in 2014, I'm at the gym. Uh, it's the day before we leave to go to camp, you know? And so I'm getting my last workout in because I'm for a week, I'm just going to be, I'm not going to be able to work out the I'm it's going to be active at camp. And that, that has its own, you know, uh, challenges as far as, you know, bodily exercise go anyway. But and so I'm there, and I, you know, I, I want to get a good leg workout in because, um, you know, it'll it'll burn all week if I do it right. And uh, and so I was doing squats, and um, I go down, and both of my knees pop. And wasn't sure what it was. I, I put the weight back up on the bar and on the rack, and and I thought, well, that, I mean, it's it, it, it's kind of tender, but it doesn't really hurt. Well, when I woke up the next day to go to camp, both knees were swollen like baseballs. And, um, evidently I had, uh, destroyed some of the last bits of cartilage that I actually had. And so my workout routine now, uh, because I'm very limited what I can do with legs because I'm bone on bone, uh, in both of my knees. Um, Mondays is, is, it's the universal chest day. So I I stay with that, uh, with that pattern, but it's, it's typically, um, for a long time, I was doing, um, you know, three sets of low rep, very high weight, because uh, I was trying to build strength and size, and I've gotten really into that. But now it, it looks a lot different. It's it's typically, you know, four sets of, instead of, you know, six to eight reps of really heavy weight, I'm doing four sets of, you know, 20 to 25 reps of, of moderate weight, uh, trying to get more of a burn, because getting my heart rate up is still important. I, I've still got to get that cardio in and I can't do it by running or jogging. Uh, even elliptical is, is, is kind of hard. Um, and so I try to get it in with my, with my weight workouts. And so I do, you know, i typically do four sets of, of, you know, 15 to 25 reps. Uh, and with, with chest, it's incline bench, flat bench, decline bench, uh, and then flies. Uh, when I do, Back, it's typically you know lap pull downs, seated rows, dumbbell rows. Um, I don't do deadlifts anymore, obviously. Um, you know, then on Wednesdays it's it's shoulders, and so that's going to be overhead press. It's going to be shoulder flies. It's going to be rear delt uh, flies and um, and front raises. And um, and then uh, a lot of times I'll take Thursday off. But if I do work out on Thursday, I'll do a second chest day. Uh, but I, I I will do, I will change it up in some way, like either, you know, I'll do a a, a heavy superset of of some sort. And then Friday is arm day, um, you know, where it's, you know, it's, it's a combination of bicep curls and tricep, um, pushes, you know, with the, with the rope and dumbbells and that sort of thing. But every day it's four, it's four or five exercises for each muscle group. And I'll work out abs every day. Every day it's going to be Planks and, and some sort of, you know, uh, crunch or Roman chair or something, uh, with that, you know, so it's a, but it's five days. I I try to do five days a week and I will tell you this in the last few weeks, I have not been faithful. Uh, the last few weeks schedule has been all messed up. And we've worked out here and there, my son-in-law and my, my son, actually my son has gotten into it. Um, you know, he's, he's 13 now. So he's wanting to kind of fill the shirt out, you know, and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we, we started working out but we've not been real faithful we it's kind of been all over the place uh, but you know no better no better time to get started again than, than right now so
0: I know you've had uh, fasting type protocols are you are you still fasting if so what's that look like in a 24 hour period and are you taking any supplements uh, i'm I'm asking this because I'm curious and I'm always looking to see what other people are doing
1: yeah uh, I'm not fasting currently, uh, but when I was doing it, um, the the protocol was on Sunday is when I would begin. Since that's the first day of the week, makes the most sense. <clears throat> and basically, Sunday I'd eat lunch, I would eat dinner, you know, I'd eat breakfast. I would have Sunday I'd eat all day, right? But I would eat whatever I'm going to eat for dinner is going to be done before seven o'clock, mm-hmm. right? So typically, then if if I eat my last meal at six. Then I would fast 24 hours, and I wouldn't eat again until six Monday night. Mm-hmm. So I would do a full 24 hours to kind of shock my system and really kind of get the cleansing benefits of of a fast, right? Where your body uses up every last bit of of whatever's in there
0: mm-hmm. for
1: energy, and um, and you know, and it would by about two o'clock, man. I mean, there was brain fog, and there was all sorts of things happening. But if you if you push through, then when you finally got to eat at six o'clock, it was like the body resets and like you feel great after you ate that meal at six Mm -hmm. and then and then i would do so it was 24 hours from sunday to monday and then the the next time i would eat would be tuesday at noon so it'd be 18 hours yeah i'd do 24 18 and i would eat you know at at noon and then i would eat again at six and then the next day was 12 i would eat you know i'd eat my last dinner tuesday night at six and then i would eat breakfast wednesday morning at six and then i would eat lunch and i would eat dinner and then (laughs) basically kind of start over
0: Yeah, you know,
1: 24 hours, 18, 12. And so it was a 24, 18, 12. Uh, and, and I know that there, there's a lot of variations with that that really work where people just do, you know, they'll, they'll eat from 12 to four, you know, or 12 to five and not, not eat again until 12 the next day. And I think that's a good program too. It's probably more manageable than what I was doing. Uh, and so it's a, uh, there are definitely some benefits. I mean, I, I felt better. Uh, Once you get used to doing it, uh, it's Mm -hmm. hard to be faithful. Yeah, because you do go through a period where you're so hungry. uh, Your willpower is like you're 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 a constant battle with yourself.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Very nice. Twenty four, 18, 12. That's uh, that's legit right there. Uh, I love to read. Um, Do you have any book recommendations for me? or for those who may be listening?
1: Well, uh, I will tell you that I'm not much of a reader myself. Okay. Um, that was one of those things that i never grew to love doing. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you, I have been actually going through this. Um, he's about to get a plug here and didn't even know it. Um, we have a, chase Turner, is a brother, and this is probably backwards your anything, but the book is called trials. And it's T R A T R I A L S, a journey from anxiety to peace, and it's it's kind of a workbook book type combo. Um, but it, it's re- especially right now with with anxiety
0: levels so high. Uh, tell us the tell us the author again. Chase Turner. Chase C H A S E. Mm-hmm. Okay, is that on Amazon or where can where can people find it?
1: Uh, He sent me this. um, He sent me a message on Facebook, but I believe you can. Yeah. I can believe you can find it on Amazon.
0: Okay. So it's Uh, called trials, a journey from anxiety to peace by Chase Turner. Okay.
1: And it's a, like I said, I'm not much of a reader, uh, but this is a very easy read. um, And it's very practical. Um, I wish that I actually was a reader. uh, To be honest with you, I, 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 I find myself a little envious sometimes because even my my son is a he's an avid reader. I mean, mm-hmm. he read he he read the uh, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. You know at, at you know, eleven years old, he read those. Mm-hmm. Uh, he read all the Harry Potter books. I mean, he's very a uh, very avid reader, and I wish that I could dive into a book like that. But um, I'm cursed with two things. I, I have <laughs> Okay, I have a hard time sitting still and and and, and getting. Uh, focused on something for a long amount of time um, and i also um, suffer from uh dyslexia it's not extreme but it's enough uh that it, if i read for a longer period of time it does give me a headache yeah and so I, I have to read in short spurts and that's why i mean even even with my bible readings i'll read a couple chapters and then i'll stop you know and then i'll go back later and i'll read a couple chapters and then i'll stop
0: when you preach, are you preaching basically from memory? Are you taking notes up there? Something that I'm I'm beginning to work on is, you know, I will write my sermons out. Uh, the one I just recorded for this weekend, when I when I recorded it, it was just me, my Bible, and my cell phone. So, you know, I know there's some guys out there that don't use notes or take them up there. So that's something I've been trying to work on, with with a just with some of the conditions you were talking about, yeah, are you taking, are you taking notes up there or I do. how do you do that?
1: I do. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm for, and, and that was one of the things that was always so impressive about Jeff Howard is there were times Jeff wouldn't decide what he was going to preach on until he was walking.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: but then you know, when you preach for 25 years, you, you have that kind of ability, right? And he would get up there and he would open his Bible and he would kind of you know, just you know, welcome everyone and that sort of thing. And then he, you could see he would kind of pick a direction and he would just go. and it, And they were always, they were never, uh they weren't like rabbit, you know, rabbit hole type sermons where he would just kind of run off in some some you know tangent. They were well put together, well thought out. I mean, you would even have three points and that sort of thing. But the guy never had anything but his Bible, and I was always so impressed with that. But for me. Uh, number one it's not that I'm just not that smart <laughs> so um, but I do um, I do take notes and what I do is I will actually write out like a manuscript of everything that I want to say okay uh, and then what I do is the the main points in each paragraph I will bold bold type those and then I will make an outline and that's what I take to the pulpit with me I, I write a transcript so that I remember, what I want to say. But then I take the outlines of the pulpit and, and you know, if, if you ever watch any of my live streams, there are times when I'm standing there at the pulpit and you know that I'm sticking hard to the outline. There are times when I'll walk away from it. Yeah. When you know that something has, has triggered a thought or inspired me and, and I, and I kind of go away from it. But yeah, um, but I definitely, I, I wish that I could, I could preach without notes and I've done it uh, a time or two. I've done it like, you know, camp, we have to give devotions and, you know, there, there's, there's no, there's no podium. There's no, there's any, there's nothing to set anything on. You're just up there talking. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, and so you're basically running on memory. And I wish I could do that every Sunday. Unfortunately, I'm just not at that level yet. That's something to aspire to though, for sure. Yeah. That's something I can do.
0: I can do. <laughs> <laughs> I can do. And so can you. Well, I tell you what, this has been really good for me. I'm just looking over my notes a little bit. I really appreciate your, your passion, your heart for God, your willingness to talk about your past and just what God has done for you. I know sometimes that's very challenging. Uh, You've you've covered quite a bit of territory with family and with friends and uh, just the relationships, but I'm hoping that this will uh, help other people. and I'm hoping that this will be a benefit. It certainly has been a benefit to me. I see a lot of similarities between the two of us with our with our fathers, with our children, what we're striving to do. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to, we have to wrap it up here, but I just want to get a couple more thoughts here. And this will just sure. take a, a couple of moments. Yeah. Uh, where, number one, where can people find you?
1: Well, uh, obviously my, my Facebook page is, is public. Uh, so you can, you can, you know, search Keith Stoneheart on Facebook. Uh, you can also find uh, our, our YouTube channel, the Fulton Church of Christ uh, YouTube channel where we, we live stream our, our services there. Um,
0: say the, say the church
1: name again, Fultondale Church of Christ. That's okay. F-U-L-T-O-N-D-A-L-E. Okay. Um, and then also the Fulton Dale Church of Christ Facebook page where YouTube typically will, will stream the entire service uh, with Facebook. We only put the sermons on there. And so there, if you search my name, they'll, they'll usually pop up there uh, coinciding with the Fulton Dale uh, Facebook page. Uh, and you can also go to our website, FultonDaleChurchPrice.net and uh, and and find those sorts of things there. Um, and if you're ever in North Birmingham, man, come and come and visit. Come see us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And eventually, you, you and
1: I are going to get together and have a workout, man. I'm, I'm,
0: I, I know gonna... we should have done it last year with the uh, with the quarantine. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we we waited way too long, but we'll definitely have to do that. Final thought here: if you had an opportunity to talk to a young, a young person, maybe someone is listening to this, uh, what, what would you want them to know?
1: Oh man, that's a, uh, that's such a large question. And I think that, you know, the only way to truly answer is for them to know that they're not worthless. Um, I think sometimes we live in a, we live in a society that's very materialistic. And uh, so much so that you know kids base their worth on their status in life, and, and, and most of the time that has nothing to do with them. Right? If, if they're in a in, in a in a lower financial bracket, that's not their fault. You know, that's that's the situation that their their parents were in, and that's that's not even say that it's a bad thing. Um, you know, uh, some of the best lessons that I learned in life is when we didn't have anything. You know, um, but I think that you know there's a lot of our Culture bases worth and value on that sort of thing, or, or, or maybe they're not a, a talented athlete, or maybe they're not talented musically, or you know, maybe they don't know what their talent is yet. I mean, um, you know, you're, it, it, it takes a lifetime sometimes to figure those things out.
0: know
1: yeah. I'd ever become a preacher. I mean, it took me 40 years almost to figure that out. Yeah. And so you know, I, I would say that they're that they're they're not worthless, and that they are loved, even if. Their home life uh, has not been what it should be. That there is a God and that He loves them. And I can look back on my life and all the 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 times where it was very evident that Satan wanted me. Um, The fact that He doesn't have me now tells me that God was always there waiting for me. And uh, I think He waits for all of us, like the Father, you know. And and so that that establishes our worth in Him and it establishes our value. And him and and the love that we we understand comes from him. And so,
0: if you had a quick thought for fathers, what might that be?
1: Fathers love your wives. The best thing, the best model that we can uh, set out for our kids is for them to see us love our wives. Um, that 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 establishes early the model. You know, uh, you know, when my daughter was getting married, she talked a lot about. How she determined uh, the type of man that she would look for, and she said that it was because she said dad she was you, you and you and mom love each other. I, I wanted that. It established a, it established a model with her where she wanted what what was to have now that's not to say that mine and Kelly's marriage was perfect because it was not you know and, and it, it, you know it obviously had had problems, but what she saw was love because there was effort from both of us. There was determination from both of us, and there was faith uh, from both of us uh, in loving God more than one another. You know, and so I would say the best thing we can do for our kids as fathers, love their mothers and let them see that.
0: Very powerful. One last question for couples who may be listening to this, couples who may be going through challenges. 23 years is a long time for you and Kelly. You've been through a lot. What short, Piece of advice, wisdom, would you give to couples? Maybe even the couples who may be going through some difficult days.
1: Um, that time truly does heal, um, and, and, and so put your faith in that. Uh, you know, God gave us time. Uh, I don't think is simply just a circumstantial way to keep up with ourselves, but but time heals. Uh, you know, and and so when you're going through tough. Moments. Just know that it'll pass, and that that no matter the hurt you feel today, um, when you both have put God first, you'll follow the examples that He gave for forgiving one another as as Christ forgives us. And that let time, and then let time do what it does. Let time, um, let time heal, and and trust that. Trust the process. God knew what he was doing. And uh, we just have to trust it.
0: Amen. Thank you, Keith, for your time. (laughs) And thank you for sharing your story. Very powerful. So I will put together some notes for those who will listen to this where where you can be sure to find the website and the book that you mentioned. Keith, take care and God bless. I appreciate you, brother. Love you too, brother. Keep at it. All right. Take care. All right. For those who are listening, thank you for tuning in, and remember, I can do, and so can you.